that you came in, but they also have some. Here's Carl with some here if anybody over in this section needs. Daniel has some back here. Anybody over here need a set of notes? Anybody else? Wow, great job, guys. Coverage. Now, those 31 pages, I think it is, are the notes for our six weeks. So if you remember, bring those back with you. If you don't remember, we'll have extra copies each week. But that is the uh, set of notes for each of our six sessions together. And I'll explain making peace in just a moment, but I want to make a, a couple of quick announcements. One that we did not make in our first hour that I was asked to, to make sure we make is, ladies, tomorrow night is heart to heart, and that meets twice a month on Mondays, so tomorrow night is one of the two meetings. And I believe it's the last heart to heart meeting. So those of you that have been a part of that, you'll want to be at the finale. It's at 7 o'clock tomorrow night here uh, for, for our ladies. And then with regard to this hour, over the next uh, several weeks and even into the summer, here's what's going to be coming up. We're going to do this series starting today and for five more weeks, a total of six weeks. When we're finished with that, on June the 12th, June the 12th, during our second hour, we're going to have four classes going on uh, simultaneously, adult classes. Uh, we'll have a Crossroads class, that's the college and career uh, class. They will meet in a classroom for 12 weeks during the summer, starting on June the 12th. And then at the same time, while that's, while that's going on, we're going to have a, I'm calling the class uh, Senior Servants, that is 60 and over. If you come up with a better num uh, name, let me know. But for now, it's, it's Senior Servants. And there will be a class for those of us that are 60 and over. I turned 60 last month, so I'm now in the Senior Servants uh, category. And Dr. Combs and I are going to tag team on leading that class on some things relevant to our, our age group and being mentors and being models to the next generation. We're going to try to focus on, on that. And then there is going to be another class on the book of Ephesians, and uh, Brother Paul McKenzie is going to be teaching on that for those 12 weeks through the book of Ephesians. And in the auditorium, uh, we're going to have two uh, demographics of married couples but all together here in the auditorium for a 12-week series on marriage. So we'll have the young marrieds and we'll have the older marrieds, home builders. We were going to have those in two separate rooms. The problem is those classes are so sizable, they're larger than our classroom sizes, and the auditorium was the only place where we could do that. So we're going to combine them. They were going to go through the same material anyway. So those of you that are young marrieds or you're in the home builder category, if you're married and you want to know more about building your marriage, then that's the, the class for you. So we'll have something for everybody uh, during those 12 weeks, and it will start on June the 12th. So just bear that in mind. Meanwhile, we begin today our Making Peace series, and this will be for, for six, six weeks. And if you look at the introductory page, I say there that God desires that we have peace with Him and each other. So let's just, let me stop there and talk about the first two words in that opening line that God desires that we have peace with Him and each other. God desires. Now, that would be fine, it is fine, except we desire as well. And our desires are not always in alignment with God's. And so that not only creates conflict, it creates difficulty in resolving conflict. God desires, but we desire, and we desire 
sometimes different things than he does for various reasons. In our relationships, whatever they are, whether in our homes, whether in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, just with longtime friendships, whatever they are, in our relationships, we all we bring a perspective. And that perspective may or may not be accurate. And as a result, then, we create desires based upon our possibly inaccurate perspective on this relationship. Here's one way that it can go. Listen, I'm a good person. And, you know, I've had this conflict with this person for a long time, and I know I'm right. (laughs) So you bring that sort of kind of a superior perspective to it. Now, that may be accurate. In some relationships, certainly that's, that's true. But, of course, it may not be. And God's perspective is, is always accurate. So what we desire may be based on a faulty perspective. It may be based on a faulty agenda. That is, I come to the relationship. I have the relationship, again, whatever context it is, and I have an agenda. I have things that I want out of this. I have things that I want to be accomplished as a result of this, I have an agenda. It may not be, agenda sounds loaded. I don't mean that with a negative connotation necessarily. It's just you come with a plan, things that you want to see happen. And someone's not cooperating with my agenda. So we've got to analyze the agenda. But against what and from whom do we analyze the agenda? Where do we get that? So I come with my perspective. I may come with my agenda. We have perspective, we have agendas, and we have finally quit. (laughs) That's the other way you can engage in your relationship. You quit. You're there, but you're not there. You're in it because you have to be. You're physically in the space of the other person, but you don't want to be. And so you have dropped out. You have emotionally checked out. You've quit. You may feel like you've quit because you have nothing left to give. I've given all I can to this relationship, and so it's gone now, and so I'm still here, but I'm hating life, I'm hating it, and I've checked, I've checked out. Now, these are understandable. You know, you come with a perspective, that perspective may be accurate, maybe not. You come with an agenda, some things you want to accomplish, Those may be good things. They may be selfless rather than just selfish things. Or if you've just run out of energy, we all only have so much bandwidth. In our minds, we all only have so much emotional energy. So they may be uh, understandable, but they're the wrong starting point. We should not start, as we begin to look at our relationships and how they're going and how they ought to go, we should not begin with us. We shouldn't say, here's my perspective or my agenda or this is where I am. Don't start there. Our perspective is limited. Our agendas are almost always mixed. Selfish and selfless. Or we quit and so we just give in in the relationship. Don't respond at all. Don't interact at all. We're just done with it, and so I just want to get some peace. The best way for me to get peace is just to continue to check out. 
So that very first line, in fact, those very first two words are really important. God desires. Start with God. We're starting this series with God. I'm trying to give you reasons why that's the best place to start. Because you don't have, have it all together. I don't have it all together. You've got a limited perspective. You've got a mix of selfishness, as I do, in our motivations for how we interact with other people. We can check out we, because we've copped an attitude, because we've run out of energy, whatever the case may be, and then just give in to the status quo so that we can just have some peace. So start with God. Start with God's desires. And God's desires are best. And His desires are because the conflict that has brought us together for this series, I mean, you know, most, many of us are here because we've got conflict. Now, not everybody necessarily has conflict. If you're free of conflict, then praise the Lord. Let me make a prediction for you. You're going to have some conflict coming up soon. You're either in a conflict, conflicted situation, you're coming out of one, or you're fixing to go into one. That's my prediction for you, okay? But most of us have some form of conflict in our lives. That's why we're here. And God desires something different than that. The reason He desires something different than that is because that's not the way He made it to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So when stuff in your life and my life is not the way it's supposed to be, then your first reaction should be to think about the one who made it originally and how he designed it to be. And then what he says about what causes it to go awry and what the, the solution is. And so back then to the introduction. God desires that we have peace with him and with each other. As we go through this series, we will see that at bottom, the reason we don't have peace with one another is because we don't have peace with God but we'll be seeing that throughout our time together. Yet many of our relationships are marked by bitterness, hostility, resentment, and anger. These emotions overflow into biting words and vengeful actions. How can we restore peace to a broken relationship? What does God have to say about dealing with difficult people, wrongs committed in the past, granting forgiveness, and seeking reconciliation? So in this six-week course, we're going to explore what God says about the source of and the solution to Problems in all of our relationships, whether in our homes, at work, or in our neighborhoods. We will consult God's guidebook for life, the Bible, to see what He says about how to know peace in our lives and relationships. So I invite you to the second page then of your notes. But just right now, friends, make the commitment internally. Say to yourself, yeah, that's right. I need to look at what God says. He's the, he's the creator. He designed it. It's not the way He created it to be. So it makes sense for us to look at what He has to say and commit yourself to looking and acting upon what He has to say. Now on page two, staying on top of conflict, I want to point out a couple of things about that upper half of the page. You see the footnote there, and down at the bottom it says from Peacemaker Ministries, and you see the website. They have a lot of resources that are very helpful, and so I recommend those to you. And they have uh, this book. This is kind of their seminal book. They have a lot of resources, but this is the book that contains all of their principles, and it's called The Peacemaker. And we have copies of this in our resource center. And by the way, when I hold up a book and I say, go buy it and all of that, I feel like a salesman, so I just feel compelled to add. We don't make any money off of the books. 
We sell them at cost. So if you want a copy, then they're available for you in our, in our resource center. I'll remind you of that a few more times during the, the series. So this material is then based on the Peacemaker book and some of what they have at their website. And one of the things that they utilize quite regularly is what you see at the top of page two, the slippery slope of conflict. And you're going to see this on the succeeding pages because it outlines for us what we're going to be looking at together. And just underneath that, the first thing we're going to talk about are the escape responses that each of us can have toward conflict. Now, the escape responses, as you look at that half sphere, the slippery slope of conflict, those are on the left side. So as you look at the graphic, on the left side, you see it shaded there, that pie shading, and it says on the left, escape responses. And then there are three of them, denial, flight, and then the most extreme, suicide. And then we will look at the other side uh, on, the, on the next page. So the first type category of responses for us in the conflict that we inevitably have to confront in a fallen world are escape responses. The three responses, middle of page two, found on the left side of the slippery slope are commonly used by people who are more interested in avoiding or getting away from a conflict than resolving it. So that's the characteristic of the escape response. It's a person who wants to avoid, get away from, rather than resolve. And there are ways to, to do that. One is, and the most popular way, most common way to escape is to, is to deny. Now this one, and if you look across at the right side where it has the other pie there, uh, attack responses, whether you are the one or the other, whether you're on the left side or you're the right side, whether you're somebody who tends toward denying and, and uh, escaping, or you're somebody who attacks through verbal or maybe even physical assault, that's the other side, which of those you do is very much dependent on these two, character, these two categories that I mentioned to you in our anxiety series. Many of you were with us for the anxiety series that we finished about uh, five weeks ago, and then we had our four-week newcomers orientation and membership 101 and so forth, had Easter, and now we're back to these. But we had the anxiety series at the beginning of this year, and I mentioned there that a lot of the anxiety that we experience comes from our personalities, the way we're wired, our, or to put it another way, our nature. Or other times it comes from our nurture, what we've seen modeled before us. So the home that we grew up in and how it responds to difficulty. And if the immediate response is to worry, to wig out, then many of us carry that with us. Same thing is true here now. Whether you respond on the left side or on the right side is very much dependent on the kind of person, personality you have, the way you are individually wired, and your nurture how you saw conflict handled in your home. And you carry that with you. And you may have vowed through all of that that you would not be like that. I will not be like my mother. And then you find yourself in, you know, 10 years into adulthood looking in the mirror and going, yep, I'm my mother. And that may be a good thing depending on your mother, but there may be some things that are not great about that. 
depending on how they handled some of these kinds of, kinds of things. So you'll be on one side or the other, very much dependent on your nature and your, and your nurture. Now, the people who engage in escape responses are people that some have called peace fakers. Not peacemakers, <laughs> peace fakers. So this is just to get, get out of it, just to let it go. Deny that it's a really a, a big problem and fake it. And as you might imagine, I'm suggesting, more importantly, God is saying, you should not be and I should not be a peace faker. Now, what are the various ways that peace fakers go about their faking? One is denial. One way to escape from a conflict is to pretend that no problem exists. Another way is to refuse to do what should be done to resolve the conflict properly. These responses bring only temporary relief, and they usually make matters worse. And the longer they go, the more hardened now the conflict is, and the more difficult it is to, to rectify. But that's one, and that's the most common escape response. Deny. Pretend it doesn't exist, or just refuse to do what's necessary. Another is flight. Escape from a conflict by running away. This may take the form of Ending a friendship, quitting a job, filing for divorce, leaving a church, perhaps moving to a new, a new city. Flight may be legitimate in extreme situations, but in most cases, it only postpones a po proper solution to the problem. Now, you may be somebody who has to stay in the, in the situation, but as I said earlier, you've, you've fled. You left. So you still may be fighting, even within your flight, you still may be fighting, but doing so in a passive-aggressive kind of way, the cold shoulder all the time to the person that you have to be in contact with. So you, either, you might physically move. If you can't physically move, then you emotionally remove. That's the, the, the flight response. Here's a, here's a line that I've used for a lot of years, and I think it's helpful because it's true, and I recommend it for your consideration. And that is, a change of address does not result in a change of heart. You can move, but you still say, take the same heart with you. And we're going to see as we go through this series that if we're really going to deal with this the way God says to deal with it, we need to deal with it internally, within ourselves, within our own hearts. And if we fail to do that, and we simply leave, we escape, we move, we check out of the, the marriage, we relocate, find a new church, find a new state, <laughs> find a new job, you're still taking the same heart with you. And that heart then will confront other potential conflicts in the form of other people and other situations. So by far the best thing for us to do is then to get to the root cause rather than symptoms, rather than the external circumstances deal with the internal cause. We will do that then in this series. And then thirdly, of course, the most extreme escape response is suicide. When people lose all hope of resolving a conflict, they may seek to escape the situation or make a desperate cry for help by attempting to take their own lives. Suicide is never right, a right way to deal with a conflict. 
That's the most extreme. If you look over on the other side, the attack responses on the right side, murder is the most extreme form and, of course, rarer than the others. So on page three now, you see the flight, the escape responses, but now there are the attack responses on the right side and that pie section of the graphic. And they are assault, litigation, and, and murder. The three responses found on the right side now of the graphic are often used by people who are more interested in winning a conflict than in preserving a relationship. So we need to honestly ask ourselves, where do we fit into that? Am I about having the upper hand? Am I about being right? Am I about having my way? If I am, then anything or anyone that gets in the way could face something like this, assault. Some people try to overcome an opponent by using various forms of force or intimidation, such as verbal attacks, including gossip and slander, physical violence, or efforts to damage a person financially or professionally. That usually escalates conflict. Now, I don't want to be naive in a group this large and say that there's no physical violence going on. That could be. There could be homes represented here where there's physical violence that's happening, uh, a spouse to a spouse. If that's happening and you are in danger, here's my advice to you, leave and leave immediately. And if you need help with that, call our office this week and we will help you with that. And so if you are in a dangerous situation, physically, you should leave. And then we will seek to, to help you with that. If you are the person perpetrating physical violence, then I say to you in the strongest terms that you are a coward in the way you're dealing with conflict. Conflict is a difficult thing to deal with and you're taking the coward's way out to get the, the upper hand. So take the challenge, friend, and stop. And take these lessons to consider what God says about how to handle conflict properly. But for most of us, it's not the physical. It's the verbal. And some of us are very good at the verbal. So remember, you know, I said whether you do the escape or you do the attack depends on your nature, your personality, how you're wired. Well, the people, those of us who are wired as extroverts and those of us who are wired for verbal communication on a regular basis, then we can easily fall into the verbal assault category of handling things. That's true for me. That's true for me personally. That early on in our marriage, our 37-year marriage now, thanks be to the grace of God, but early on in the early years of our marriage, it was very clear that I could overcome Kim verbally that I could command her attention and, and require her to submit to what I wanted her to do. And in my sinfulness, I was willing to do that. And I've said this in other venues in the past, but I still remember one of our verbal conflicts and me overpowering Kim verbally and her looking at me 
And she says, Kenny, I can't argue the way you do. And for some reason, God just used that to prick my heart, to convict me of what I was doing. Just her soft, Kenny, I can't argue the way you do. And all of it came crashing down for me. Here I am taking advantage of this sweet gift that God has given to me that's different than I am, made differently than I am, and yet I'm using this gift that God's given me to communicate to overpower her and harm her. And so God started a work in my heart with that, to confess that that was true, and then to begin to deal with it and to put into place the kinds of solutions we're talking about here. Now, that was two, three years into our marriage. We're 37 years in. We, she and I talk about uh, where would we be had God not intervened in that way? And there were other things in our relationship that were causing us to be at each other. And we found ourselves in those opening years drifting apart. And had that not been arrested, over time, we would have drifted further and further apart. I do not know where that would have led. But in all likelihood, I would not be standing here talking to you as a pastor. I may not be married, but I'm here to testify that God is good and He's given us 37 years. And so we've been married 37 years, and I tell people I've been happily married for 34 years. <laughs> and they say, I thought you were married for 37. I know. I said, happily married for, for 34. And that's true for a lot of marriages, right? You've been married for a certain amount. How much of that has been happily married? God wants all of it to be. And I can tell you that if you implement these principles, then it can be. So assault is often used verbal attacks to overcome somebody, somebody else. People who do these, these attack responses, are not peace fakers, they're peace breakers. So you've got peace fakers who just act like nothing's wrong or just roll with it and don't want to do the work to solve it, peace faker. But then you've got the attack responses. These are peace breakers. And assault is one form of that. Litigation, although some conflicts may legitimately be taken before a civil judge, lawsuits usually damn relationships, diminish our Christian witness, often fail to achieve complete justice. This is why Christians are commanded to take every, make every effort to settle their differences within the church rather than the civil courts. When folks join our church, that's a commitment we make to each other, that we will first seek to resolve whatever conflicts arise between us among us, work it out using the principles that Jesus gives. Now, there are some times where you can't do that. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But notice what that's saying. Sometimes it's not possible. Why? Because it depends on the other person cooperating. And sometimes that can't happen, and therefore litigation may have to happen, even between professing Christians, but it's not your first resort. And then thirdly, in extreme cases, there's murder. People may be so desperate to win that they will try to kill those who oppose them. While most people would not actually kill, 
We should never forget that we stand guilty of murder in God's eyes when we harbor anger or contempt in our hearts toward others. So we wouldn't, most of us would not physically murder somebody. But in our hearts and in our minds as we think about them, the hatred and contempt we have, we've committed the equivalent of murder. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have hatred in your heart toward your brother, you've committed murder already. And then on page 4 you have... Not the escape responses, not the attack responses, but the conciliation responses. The gospel is the key. A true peacemaker is guided, motivated, and empowered by the good news that God has forgiven all our sins and made peace with us through the death and resurrection of His Son. Now, just stop and read that sentence again because it can sound like just church speak Christianese, but it really is powerful and true if you look at it. A true peacemaker is guided, motivated, and empowered by the gospel, the good news that God has forgiven all our sins and made peace with us through the death and resurrection of His Son. Now, how does that truth relate to practically how you and I approach peacemaking? Well, here's how. You see, because of the gospel... I am secure in who I am before the most important audience in the universe, namely God. And therefore, that takes away now the need for me to win in these temporal settings. Those things that were so important to me, I have to get the upper hand, I have to win. Now, if I understand who I am in Jesus... And that I have this standing before Him and that He accepts me because of the work of Jesus Christ in His life and in His death on my behalf. Because that's true, now I've won the greatest prize that can ever be won. And it diminishes all others. That's the effect it should have. So that's for the attack person. I don't need to attack now. I don't need to win. Because in Christ I have, I have already won. But what about the escape person, the person who doesn't want to deal with it? They're more demure, they're more introverted. That person now has courage because they also know who they are in Jesus. They're no longer afraid. It engenders a confidence now that the one who did all of this for me will, in fact, be with me as I obey him in what he's told me to do. So that line has practical consequences, real-world consequences for people on both sides. Middle of that paragraph, though Christ, through Christ, He has also enabled us to break the habit of escaping from conflict or attacking others. And He's empowered us to become peacemakers who can promote genuine justice and reconciliation. So that middle pie at the top now section is the peacemaker. So you've got your three, you've got peace fakers on the left, you got peace breakers on the right, but you want to be in the middle and you want to be a peace, a peacemaker. Now, the six responses found in that top portion, the peacemaking portion of the slippery slope are directed at finding a just and mutually agreeable solution to a conflict. These responses are, can be divided into these two categories, personal peacemaking and getting assistance if the personal peacemaking doesn't work. So let's look at those. Page four, personal peacemaking. 
These are carried out in private between the parties themselves. Although it's appropriate for one or both parties to seek advice on how to implement these responses, they should normally try to resolve their differences one-on-one -on -one before asking anybody else to intervene. And as you do that, here are your possible responses then. You can overlook an offense. Many disputes are so insignificant, they should be resolved by quietly and deliberately just deciding, I, I can overlook it. Proverbs 19, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Overlooking an offense is a form of forgiveness. It involves a deliberate decision not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness or anger. So that's a unilateral action that you take. That this particular thing that someone offended me with is not so large that I need to make an issue of it. I can overlook it. Now, that's different than the escape response or denial response. You're not denying it. It really happened. It really did hurt you. But it may be a one-off or a two-off. And you have grown in Christ such that what other people think about you isn't the most important thing in the world to you. It doesn't quite hurt you the way it used to. And as a result of that, you can overlook it. And if you can't overlook it, then be willing to, to do that. But page five reconciliation. There's overlooking, but then reconciliation. If an offense is too serious to overlook or has damaged our relationship, we need to resolve personal or relational issues through confession, loving correction, and forgiveness. And we will be looking at those in the weeks to come. Jesus said, if your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. Brothers, the Apostle Paul wrote, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should seek to restore him gently. Colossians 3, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Bible's replete with those kinds of, of commands for us to pursue reconciliation as a peacemaker. And then negotiation. Even if we successfully resolve relational issues, we may still need to work through some material issues like related to money, property, or other things. This should be done through a cooperative bargaining process in which you and the other person seek to reach a settlement that satisfies the legitimate needs of each side. And so, you know, if you had somebody and they uh, borrowed money from you, they were supposed to pay it back, they didn't pay it back, you've now confronted in the proper way the issue, you've sought to work through it uh, through reconciliation, they've admitted that, now you need to negotiate, okay, how are we going to do this? Over what period of time are we going to do this? We come to an agreement, that's what's being said there. If the parties cannot, though, resolve a dispute through personal peacemaking, then they should get assistance. And this will require they seek help from other people in their church or community through, and you see this, the word mediation. Now, if you look at the top of the graphic, and at the very pinnacle there at the top, you know, from left to right, you've got overlook, reconciliation, negotiation. We, we just briefly dealt with those. But now there's the other three, mediation, and then the next page. Mediation, first of all, if two people cannot reach an agreement in private, they should ask one or more objective outside people to help communicate more effectively and explore possible solutions. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go to him, show him the problem just between you and that person. If he hears you, you've won your brother. That's the end of it. But then notice what this says. If he will not listen to you, take one or two others along. These mediators may ask questions and give advice, but they have no authority to force you to accept a particular solution. Now, that's just using a principle that Jesus gave 
Jesus actually says these two or three need to be witnesses to the offense. But just as a wise principle, even if the people are not witnesses to the offense, getting assistance from others who can be objective and has, have godly wisdom is a good thing to consider. So there's mediation. Then there's arbitration, page 6. When you, send, uh, when you and an opponent cannot come to a voluntary agreement on a material issue, you may appoint one or more arbitrators to listen and render a binding decision. Now, believe it or not, there actually is an organization that Peacemaker runs called the Institute for Christian Conciliation. And they actually have trained people who will do this. So you can call on them, they will come, and they will arbitrate between the two, the two parties. And the two parties agree to make that legally binding, can actually be used in court if the person reneges, one of the parties reneges. I've been in one of these, not as a plaintiff or a defendant, so. but years ago we had someone in the church who was in a conflict they just couldn't. We called upon the Institute for Christian Conciliation, and the two parties were there. They had the trained conciliator there, and I was there as well, so I've actually seen this take place. And then accountability. If a person who professes to be a Christian refuses to be reconciled and do what's right, Jesus commands his or her church leaders to formally intervene to hold him or her accountable to Scripture. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. Now, that's a last step, and it's a dramatic step, and it's a step that we should never get to, right? Because we're willing to deal with things. We're willing to, to handle things. But Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18, friends, assume that you have a church where that can happen. So I know most of you here, but I don't know everyone here. And if you are someone who does not have a, a church, and you do not have a church that practices these kinds of things, then you can't practice what Jesus has said. And so I encourage you to think about aligning yourself, being a part of a Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be this one. I, I commend this one. I think this is a good one. But there are other good ones. But you need one. So let's define conflict then. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So that's similar to the agenda piece that I talked about. You know, and you come to it, you've got your agenda, maybe a good agenda, maybe a bad agenda, but you've got one. You've got your goals and your desires. And conflict occurs when that's frustrated in some way by someone else. Now, that's broad enough to encompass run-of-the-mill variations in just taste, such as one spouse wanting a vacation in the mountains, the other wanting something on the waterfront, but also the more serious hostile arguments, fights and quarrels and lawsuits and church divisions, the difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. When I used to have a real job in the uh, computer field, and I worked for 20 years as a computer consultant. So what that meant was I would spend six months at a place, a year at a place. And as a result, in those 20 years, I went to a lot of places. And every time you went to a new place for a new project, of course, they interviewed you. So I've been through lots of interviews over the years. And one of the questions that would often be asked is, what if a, what if a conflict arises on your team, the team you're going to be a part of? And 
I would say, and this is before I ever took this, just based upon growing up in church, knowing something about the Bible, I would say, if that's happening, someone has an agenda other than the company's agenda. And so we need to find out what the extra agenda is. <laughs> so what would I do? I would want to make sure that we align everyone's agenda with what the company's mission statement is. Because when you have this happening, you've got someone else with their own agenda, and as a result, it's creating, creating conflict. Now, here's the biblical view of conflict. That's the definition of conflict. Here are four primary causes of conflict according to the Bible. Misunderstandings resulting from poor communication. So the better you communicate, the fewer of those you'll have, obviously. But then it gets more serious as you go down. Differences in values, goals, gifts, calling, priorities, expectations, interests, or opinions. That's the agenda piece. I've got an agenda, you've got an agenda because we've got differences in, in those areas. Or competition over limited resources, such as, as time or, or money, cause conflict. Where are we going to put our time? We have an argument about that. We have a disagreement about that. Where are we going to put our money? And then sinful attitudes and habits that lead to sinful words and, and actions. Those are four primary causes of conflict that can be dealt with in the ways that we'll talk about in the weeks ahead. But lastly, bear in mind that conflict is not necessarily bad. Some differences are natural and beneficial. We should seek unity in our relationships, but not uniformity. Unity and uniformity are not the same thing. But see, you will only be a person who's comfortable with a lack of uniformity. You'll only be a person who's comfortable with, uh, with diversity if you have the humility to see that it's okay for somebody to be different and see it different. But if you're a prideful person who believes, remember what I said before, the perspective? And so we've got the perspective that says, I'm right and I'm good. If you're the prideful person like that, then you're not going to see the value in the diversity in what somebody else brings to the table. Some differences are natural and beneficial. Several years ago, our leadership team at our church here uh, went through a, uh, you know, there's all kinds of these tests that they do where they ask you a bunch of questions and then they have different categories and they rate you on the categories. Uh, and then they come up with a, what kind of person you are. And I discovered this one years ago that's just, I've found it to be just absolutely uncanny in how it can peg people. It absolutely pegged me, pegged my wife, pegged the leadership team. At the time, we had one guy on the leadership team who was regularly contrarian. Not, not bad, just had the opposite view of what everybody else had, regularly. It's okay. We all, that's the way we roll. We express our opinion. And we all took these, and we were all amazed. It's like, man, that thing just nailed me. Yeah, that's me. And he took his, and his response was, no, that's not me. And we said, you just proved that that's you <laughs> by denying that it's you. 
I scored, there were these four categories, I forget what the four categories are, but one of them was the emotional category. And I scored very low on the emotional category. Like when I'm dealing with people, emotions don't play a whole lot. I'm dealing with the facts. I want to know what the truth, okay, what happened? You know, what's the sequence? So that's how I deal with it. Not a lot of emotion. Many of you were here when we had Pastor Matt Owen on our staff, 2014. He became a senior pastor down in Jacksonville area where he is now. So Matt took it as well. Matt was like near the top on the emotional level. So Matt's really emotional. I'm not emotional. He and I had to work through that. But the point is we did. And that's exactly what you do. You appreciate the diversity. I appreciate what he brings to the table. He appreciates what I bring to the table, even though they're different. And that's why we wanted to take this for our leadership team, for us to see that and appreciate it from each other. And thankfully, the Lord has allowed us to do that. But you have to have the humility to be willing to do that. And then last, many disagreements are the result of, of course, sinful attitudes and behavior. All right, bring those notes back with you, and we will continue with the next page in the second session. Let's pray as we're dismissed. Our Father, we thank you that you love your creatures enough to communicate to them, to us, who you are, and how you've designed your world and how you expect it to operate. Lord, you've told us what's gone wrong in your world. And as a result of sin entering your otherwise good world, then we are all affected by it. We all contribute to its fallenness and we all are harmed by its fallenness. But Lord, you've told us all of that in your word. Thank you for instructing us. And then, most of all, we thank you for giving us principles that are then the solution to fixing what, fixing what is wrong. And so thank you for this opening session and for these friends who have come to hear what you have to say about how to resolve conflict. Help us in the five weeks ahead to be able to glean from your word what you say and make practical application of it to the relationships to which you have called us. As a result of that, we seek to please you. Go with us this week, grant us safety, and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.